buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the GlobalX Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing, carefully consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Co. In business, service is everything. Cintas delivers what you need to better serve your customers. Whether it's freshly laundered work apparel for almost any job imaginable, tested and inspected fire protection systems, first aid and safety supplies, on-site AED training, or mops and restroom products stocked and ready when you need them. Better work days happen together. So visit Cintas.com. Oh, I'm ready! And get ready for the workday. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. You can change the emotional impact of a number simply by reframing it in a different way. Uh, numbers don't speak for themselves. The way in which they're packaged, the stories that are told, change their whole emotional impact. And, uh, and good PR companies know this. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Alice Lipscomb-Southwell, the production editor of BBC Focus magazine. Dr David Spiegelhalter is a statistician and professor of the public understanding of risk at the Statistical Laboratory at the University of Cambridge. He has made it his mission to expose those who misuse statistics and to teach the general public how to more accurately interpret the data, numbers and risks being reported to them. In this episode of the Science Focus podcast, he speaks to BBC Focus magazine's commissioning editor Jason Goodyear about the pseudoscience behind Blue Monday, the power of numbers and how to spot a dodgy stat. Okay, so um, everyone's probably heard that the third Monday in January is allegedly the most depressing day of the year. Uh, They refer to it as Blue Monday. And I understand that the idea originally uh, began in 2005 when a holiday company was trying to increase its its sales in January. They used a mathematical formula, uh, which on the surface may appear to be perfectly scientific and reasonable to some people, taking into account variables such as debt, the amount of time spent relaxing, stress levels, uh, the amount of time spent sleeping, and they calculated allegedly that this is the most depressing day of the year. The idea has taken hold, but it's left a lot of scientists kind of rolling their eyes. So uh, what's what's your take on it? 
oh, it's complete nonsense. Um, the, these formulas, there was a guy called Cliff Arnold who uh, in the 2000s used to regularly produce formulas um, on demand from PR companies. There's the 2009, he's got the formula for the perfect Christmas toy. Uh, 2011, the formula for happiness. He did the formula for um, his you know, paid by Walls Ice Cream to do the formula for the happiest day in the year and all this stuff. So, um, you know, they look, it's, it's pseudoscience, pseudo-mathematics. And if you actually, you know, the, the, the units don't match, these are not sensible formulas at all. You know, broadly, you know, they, um, uh, they'll put in things that look like they should influence your uh, how, how sad you are or how happy you are. But actually, there's no scientific basis for this stuff whatsoever. Pure publicity. You don't get so many now. You know the uh, the the, the, the uh, they've gone out of fashion a bit. The, the formula for the perfect cup of tea, the formula for this, that, and the other. Yeah, you don't get them so much now. But this Blue Monday thing seems to have carried on, and that's because, in a sense, there is something behind that. Um, seasonal affective disorder uh, is on the NHS Choices website. It's a part of the Royal College of Psychiatrists that discusses it. So you know, the, there's some you know uh, serious discussion about the fact that. A proportion of people you know, feel uh, sadder in some senses, feel more low, uh, low mood uh, during the winter months of shorter days, and lower temperatures, and lack of sunshine, and so on. And um, what's interesting is that you know, it's not a standard depression because you know, the, if you look at the Royal College of Psychiatrists website, they say you know, the, the, it's associated with actually sleeping more and eating more. So it's not, a, in a sense, just a, a standard depression, um, but. You know, so you know. I think you know. I would say myself that actually, um, I feel I need a bit of a bit of a boost during the winter months. But if you, for example, talk to uh, Norwegians, uh, you know, up in the north of Norway, who sit there with almost you know, when the sun doesn't rise for for weeks, if not months on end, they say it's a fantastic time of year. They absolutely enjoy it. You know, it's very social. They go out, they do things, and uh, and and uh, no sign of this uh, of this sadness at all. So it's kind of using kind of fake maths or a, a sort of faux scientific approach to make their claims seem plausible. Yeah, exactly. Because no, people like this sort of stuff. As I said, they've gone out of fashion a bit now. Um, for a while, they were replaced, or, or you know, actually, this still goes on with with PR-based surveys. So public relation firms will will do a quote survey research that suits a a, comp- a brand's. Um, you know, uh, image or something like that. Uh, so uh, I, I just looked recently um, in the Daily Mirror in December. The average grandparent now spends a total of two hundred and seventy pounds on Christmas gifts for the grandchildren, and so on. And then the Sun in November: uh, two thousand adults uh, out of two thousand adults, seventy-eight percent of Brits now opt to stay in the warm rather than going on a night out during this time of year. And that research was carried out by a meal kit provider. Hello Fresh. <laughs> so, you know, and there are companies, there's a polling company, I've looked on their current website, and they've got a whole section on PR surveys, um, which essentially surveys carried out on behalf of brands. But it, they've actually got a lot more sophisticated. Uh, they write that this was originally a tool just to get column inches in national newspapers. But they have got more sophisticated. And they, they say now they don't use leading questions, they claim. Um, and uh, they what they do is do it. They've got a panel of 
tens of thousands of people. They'll do some questions. They claim they can do 2,000 you know, questionnaires in a day. And um, they say they write the PR to the results, not vice versa. So they do do a survey, they say, and then they'll write a story and send it to the newspapers and, and, and get it published. But really what they're doing is um, having the idea and then producing a survey to produce a desired result. Well, to, to get some stories, to get stories into the column inches. So uh, this one on the people, it's great. I love this sort of, actually, I don't love this sort of statistics. It's awful. But, you know, the recipe for a perfect night in includes dinner at 6.48 p.m. Two, <laughs> two hours in front of the TV and bed by 10.45 p.m. according to research. And, you know, the trouble is that this sort of nonsense, you know, is said as to be research and gets column inches. And you know, how can somebody reading this? Well, you hope. I think people have got the common sense to realise this is not the same kind of research as a large clinical trial costing tens of thousands, you know, you know, millions of pounds and taking over years to evaluate a new drug therapy, for example. Now that's research and that's serious statistics. But this gets called research, and these statistics gets published. So I actually think that readers can tell the difference. I don't think people are so daft. Now, the one that I love, this this one on the grandparents spending all the money on Christmas gifts. The study also found four in ten grandparents say their favorite things about Christmas season is spending time with their grandkids, while almost one in five love to give people presents. Do you like the framing of that? That means four in five don't like to give people <laughs> presents. And the majority of grandparents, their favorite thing is not to spend the Christmas with their grandkids. So, you know, they do put a spin on the findings uh, from these surveys. So what sort of common tricks do uh, do people use when manipulating these these sort of uh, supposed algorithms or, or statistics to in their favour? Oh, there's so many ways you can do it. I, mean, I, 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 I awful thing to say as a professional statistician, but I always say I can make any number look big or small, uh, depending on um, on uh, your, what you want to find. You can frame things to look very different. Um, the one example I use quite a lot is, is an advertising campaign that was carried out um, in, in London. There were posters, and uh, it was called the 99% campaign. It said 99% of young Londoners do not commit serious youth violence. So that's a, that's a trick, you know, look, looking at a, what's called a positively framed message in the sort of psychological language, so 99%. But I, you know, let's say I wanted to reverse the feeling from that story, which is clearly meant to reassure us. Um, there are two tricks you use if you want to reverse something like that. First of all, you switch the percentage and say that 1% of young Londoners do commit serious youth violence. So you go into a negative frame. And then the other trick is to change it from a, a percentage to an actual number of people. And you work out there are about a million Londoners between 15 and 25 or something like that. 1% of, of that is 10,000. Oh, my goodness. That's 10,000 violent young Londoners, you know, roaming the streets. This is a dangerous city. That's, so you can change the emotional impact of a number simply by reframing it in a different way. Uh, numbers don't speak for themselves. The way in which they're packaged, the stories that are told, change their whole emotional impact and uh, and good PR companies know this 
what sort of steps would you recommend to to somebody who wants to kind of sense check a statistic or a calculation? Yeah, no, that's a that's a real issue in this in this these days of misinformation and uh, you know and misuse of of, of 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 statistics. I think this is such an important question. I think you should be taught in schools, and and, and they do learn. So you do learn some things, but um, uh, I, I I think this kind of thing to look at is um, well, how does it make me feel? You know what what. what why am I hearing this? What what is this number trying to do? What what's this? What, why is someone telling me this story? And almost always is because someone's got an agenda. They want you to either usually either they want to reassure you or to make you frightened. You know, they, they, pretty well all statistics are used for one of those things when they're part of a story. And so you just ask, well, why am I hearing this? You know, what's, what what is this person trying to make me feel? Go with your gut feeling, not just to respond and click on on like and send it to all your friends, but just think, well, no, how is this story being told? And then think, well, actually, is this number big? You know, really, they say, oh, 10,000 people do this. Well, actually, out of a proportion, out of the whole country, this is not very much at all. In so you have to think about, is this actually a big number? And and the standard trick is also if people are saying, oh, they're going to spend, you know, five million pounds on something. And then you say, well, hang on, there's 60 million people in the country. There, there's eight P each or something. You have to um, you know, do a sense check on the size of the number. Um, it's terribly important to do that because uh, people know the tricks as to how to make numbers look big or small. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a very good thing to train people to try to do. So, I mean, there are people that would uh, look at this sort of thing and say, oh, it's, it's just a bit of fun and shouldn't be taken so seriously. But do you think this sort of thing can actually harm the, the reputation of legitimate science? Well, I think so, indeed. I mean, um, I, 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 these silly stories, because I, I think the equations, everyone recognises that's just nonsense. But but the surveys, you know, how can you tell the difference between one of these surveys and a survey, a genuine survey done by the government, you know, that, that evaluates, you know, people's attitudes to something or, or you know, um, uh, evaluates um, people's behaviour uh, uh, and so on, which are, you know, seriously done surveys done, done, uh, done extremely well, which are used to guide government policies. For example, the, the crime survey for England and Wales is a survey, and that's the official crime statistics for this country, not the police reported crime, which are actually not official statistics, because frankly, they're too open to, um, you know, changes in fashion of recording or whatever. So, um, you know, surveys are terribly important. And, and, and really, so, so not all surveys are the same. And it would be very unfortunate if people thought that all surveys could be manipulated. So a lot of your work is um, is centred on explaining and investigating risk of various kinds. Mm, mm. So why do you you think as humans we're we're quite poor at judging the the risk of, of a certain action? Well, I think actually we're quite good at it. You know, in our daily lives, we're really quite good. We're, we're quite good at crossing the road, um, but we still do cross the road. It's not like we're terrified of going out the door just because something will happen. Just because there are accidents doesn't mean, you know, we all change our behavior and become incredibly cautious. So in terms of our daily lives, I think we're actually rather good at all of this. You know, humans have evolved to to really sort, sort this out. Sometimes some people are more cautious than others. Some people are completely idiotic, jumping off, you know, mountains in a wingsuit or something like that looks great fun but it's staggeringly dangerous so um but where the manipulation comes in i think is when people um essentially want to 
make you frightened of something. And uh, a lot of those stories that we read, you can, you know, always in the media, our oh, coffee increases the risk of cancer. The next story says coffee decreases the risk of cancer. The bacon sandwiches increase the risk of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're, they're, they're all the time absolute fodder of news stories. And, and actually, a lot of this is not terribly good science. They're really, they're, you know, probably quite reputable scientists, but it is terribly difficult to estimate the effect of a, a single food because, you know, we, we, we consume lots of things in our lives. So it's very difficult to get a, a, a you know, confident estimate. We know that smoking is really harmful and drinking a lot is really harmful, but drinking a little bit, well, it's really contested about what the effects of that is. It's extremely difficult to work that out. And yet there's a lot of people with agendas who would like to frighten us, you know, into saying, oh, you shouldn't drink or you should, you know, you, you should do X, Y, and Z. And, and that can detract from as more mundane things where there really is good evidence. Like you really do need, you should have a good diet. You really should not sit around too much. You should get up and move around and get more exercise. That's very helpful. Um, and, and so on. So these, which is all very, it's not very headline grabbing. The fact that what you should do is don't smoke, don't drink too much, do quite a lot of exercise and have a decent balanced diet. That's it. That's all you need to know for a healthy lifestyle. So, you know, you, know, you can't keep on and on telling that story. And the stories that get the coverage are the new latest, either, you know, this super food, you've got to eat your quinoa seeds or, you know, avocados or beetroot or something like that is going to, you know, make you a, a wonderful, healthy person. And all this sort of nonsense gets the coverage because this is news. It's news. Just telling people time and time again, well, you should have a balanced diet and get off your backside and move around is not news anymore unfortunately and um yeah just sort of kind of carrying on from that and sort of going back to what you were saying earlier about the manipulation uh of numbers in the presentation of them mm. um like on the surface it, it sounds quite alarming if you read um eating you know one pack of bacon a week yeah. is gonna gonna double my risk of, of bowel cancer actually it's increased by 18 percent 18 percent <laughs> that, that's, well, that, that's still quite, it's like, ooh. Well, it sounds quite, like, yeah, yeah, you know, so a couple of, a big bacon sandwich or, you know, a couple of sausages a day or three rashes of bacon, that's a lot of processed meat. But if it is estimated that if you do eat that, your risk of bowel cancer goes up by 18%. It does, and I think I believe that, processed meat probably does increase the risk of bowel cancer. But 18% increase, well, how important is that? Well, actually, you know, about six out of 100 of us do get bowel cancer during our lifetime. So it increases that risk by 18%. And, uh, and that means it goes up to seven in 100. Okay, so it goes from six in 100 to seven in 100. That means 100 people are going to have to eat, you know, a bacon sandwich every single day of their lives. And then one of them will get bowel cancer because of that. So, actually, in, in the great scheme of things, perhaps that isn't that important. You know, perhaps you just might be prepared to take that risk. And that's a lot of bacon. Um, if you eat less bacon, the risk is less. So, just because someone increases the risk, that's the phrase that really gets my goat. Goodness, it infuriates me. When, uh, you know, a new article or media says, oh, this X increases the risk of cancer and or something. I said, well, by how much? That's the first warning, you know, when you're listening to a story. If someone just tells you it increases the risk, the crucial thing is by how much and then from from what? You know, what? it might double the risk, but if the risk is incredibly tiny to start with. It's just twice not very much, which is still not very much. Sure. Yeah, it's like it's um, as a, the way that it's presented, uh, it's kind of 
important information is missed out. Absolutely. The framing. And, you know, in in our area, what we say is that they're presenting relative risks. In other words, it doubles the risk or increases it by 20% instead of the absolute risks. What does it mean for a thousand people? You know, if they have a thousand people who do this, a thousand people who do that, what's the difference between those two groups? That's the right way to communicate risk. That's the recommended way. It's been shown to work, to be very effective. In fact, it, it makes a very good story. So, any risk that is not communicated using absolute risks, you should stick your fingers in your ear and go wibble, wibble, wibble and not listen to it. So are there any things that people commonly tend to overestimate the risk of? Ah, yeah. Um, it, oh, yes, that's interesting. Well, people um, overestimate the risk of of, um, of, of accidents, of, of risk. They overestimate the risk of crime quite a lot. Um, and so they overestimate the risks of things they're very anxious about. And it's very natural psychological reaction. So things we, we you know we are anxious about, we, we think they're, they're, they're dangerous. Um, a great statistician, Hans Rosling, doctor and statistician, said we've got to be really careful not to confuse what's sounds frightening with what is actually dangerous. And that's what we tend to do as humans, because we're frightened. We think, oh, this must be really dangerous. But no, it's not actually. And people underestimate the risk of, you know, for example, being overweight or not exercising enough and things like that, which can seriously shorten your life. What's the, what would you say, sort of following on from that, what's the the riskiest uh, common activity that people do um, without realising that it's risky? Oh, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I would say sitting on their backsides watching television. I, w- I, I think that's probably the one I would put as as the one that um, is the riskiest activity they do without realising it, because it because it doesn't look risky, you know, unless the roof falls on your head. You're 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 safe. You're sitting at home. You're on your sofa. You're sitting there. You're getting a pizza. You know, you're having a drink and that sort of thing. And you're sitting watching the television for ages, and and this is not doing you any good at all. But it doesn't seem risky, does it? It's not like you're bowling along on a high speed on a bike, uh, which people re- recognise is, is risky. That was statistician Dr David Spiegelhalter talking about Blue Monday and the misuse of statistics. In the January issue of BBC Focus, which is on sale now, you can find out about the most mysterious objects in the universe – We also take a look at the science of exercise and find out how you can work out smarter, not harder. We also take a look at the cutting-edge tech that could help spot heart attacks before they happen. Plus, researchers are hoping to stretch quantum theory to its limits by putting a living thing in two places at once. And of course, there's much more inside. If you liked what you heard, then why not subscribe and leave a review? You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher and many of your favourite podcast apps. Find out more at sciencefocus.com. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. 